Welcome to Esoteric Artifacts. I'm here with my co-host, Sabash, and we have a very special guest with you here today. Mr. Swanson. Yeah, so Mr. this Wonderful. is uh, my good friend, Will. He works in enterprise-level uh, cybersecurity uh, in sales. Uh, he's going to be talking to us a little bit about some of the uh, more recent advances in the direction the industry has gone and what uh, some of what he's seen uh, overall in terms of companies starting to pay more attention to this, especially after um, Colonial Pipeline. I think that was a big catalyst uh, when Colonial Pipeline, that East Coast uh, oil and gas company, got uh, locked out of their systems for a couple of days. Um, you know, when even a large energy company is getting infiltrated like that by some random rogue hacker group that's probably sitting in Lithuania. Uh, people start paying attention and cybersecurity has always been one of those areas that companies do not want to spend money on it. It doesn't make them any money. It's a cost center. So right. they always avoid it. And uh, I think so a lot of the en enterprise level uh, decision makers have finally started to come around and see that it's uh, really important. So also they're getting there. Yeah, they're getting there. Yeah. Um. So just a little bit about me and myself. So I yeah. work for Securonics, as you see. Um, we're a next-gen sim platform. So um, how do I explain this? So in 2009, I'll just give you guys a sales pitch. So in 2009, um, if you looked at my board, right, so it's, it's full of, you know, ex-military, that sort of thing. Um, so a traditional sim is basically your logging, your correlation, um, basically for compliance, like a checkbox, right? Like they had all these compliance that came down and said, hey, you need to have a sim. And so all these companies purchased sims. And at that time, all they were doing was sucking all the data in, the security data, so when they do have breaches, they can go look on it, right? Um, so well, wait, can you tell us what a SIM is? It's security incident and event management. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was what a traditional SIM was. Um, so then what my company did, um, so like I said, I can't speak to exactly what the board is. Yeah. Now that I'm thinking about <laughs> um, saying this over YouTube. But what I will say is that these this conglomerate of individuals, the Snowden thing happened, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And so what they wanted to figure out is how do we stop someone um, from taking, you know, IP from an internal perspective called insider threats, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so out of that came an idea of what's called user and entity behavioral analytics. Um, mm -hmm. It's UEBA, right? Mm -hmm. And so what we do very well is they said, instead of, you know, just pulling in the logs and, you know, pulling your logs from your firewall, your incident management systems, your IDS systems, um, your, you know, your endpoint management, all these different security tools that most companies have, um, these stop gaps, roadblocks yeah. within your network, um, instead of just doing that, how about we map what's the normal behavior for the employee to figure out what's abnormal and not only map what their behavior is, but map what their behavior is specific to their peers, right? So I'm in sales. Yeah. So most sales individuals, they touch the same systems. We download the same files. Like my workday is pretty similar to my peers. I have the same access to different systems as my peers. Mm -hmm. um, so when I am doing something outside of that and abnormal, um, that is what's called an event. So we basically define that, uh, we like to say we pioneer that marketplace. Um, so, then, so let's go ahead and break that down a little bit. Sure. So essentially what it is, is you take in information from the security providers sure. and you disseminate this information and identify abnormal activity versus normal activity and yes. kind of differentiate these different trends. Correct. For the end user, right? Because everything okay. maps back to the end user. Right, right. Because right. we would see some abnormals on a firewall. You may see some abnormals on a, um, you know, on a um, actual laptop for your endpoint, right? But typically, when a hack happens, it's not just touching one system. 
It doesn't just happen like this, right? It makes right. it there. Because most times the hackers don't even know what they have access to for the most part. Right? Well, right. They're feeling out the system at the same time that you're actually observing their access to the system. Exactly. So I guess, can you kind of walk us through how that process typically unfolds? Like, is it typically someone is just probing a system and mm-hmm. then like all of a sudden they get access to mm-hmm. it? Or is it more of a targeted attack where they they know specifically what it is that they're going for? Yeah, most times not. Like unless it's like a an activist, right? And they're doing it for a purpose in which they want, then they may be targeting something. But for most common hacks, they don't know they know. You know, and most times out of um I forget the statistic around it, most of it comes from an end user error, right? I sent you a phasing email. You clicked on it, right? It looks like it came from your boss. You clicked on it, and now it just sits there. So they don't okay. really know what they have access to. Right. And well, so there it moves kind of laterally throughout the network. So in that instance, you're kind of referring to essentially a phishing attack mm-hmm. where they're trying to pose as someone else in order to get access to the system on a yeah. deeper level. Absolutely. Absolutely. Gotcha. Okay. Absolutely. So that's where user and entity behavior analytics comes into play. But then it kind of goes like... uh so most analysts, so what a sim does is just imagine like when you see the, the movies, right? You see all these guys sitting in a room. They have all these computers. Those are called SOC analysts, right? Right, right. Um, and they have a software. I sell that software. So like when I'm talking to companies, believe it or not, and like, you know, the point of the conversation, enterprise or a small, medium business, um, they have no idea what it is, right? Because they're not paying for it. Right. At, at this point, most of them, like I, I'm surprised every day the, 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 you know, these large corporations that you would just think they would have a SIM, they don't. They think they're protected with their firewall. They think they're protected with their in, uh, antivirus. They think right. they're protected these with some of these tools. Automated, like, right. they don't have, you know, they security don't have, protocols. Exactly. They don't have an actual SOC team, you know. So I have to explain it to them, like, hey, if your job was to sift through emails all day, that was your job. The platform in which you use would be important to you, right? Right. And then like your 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 what's relevant to you on one day may not be relevant to you another day. So those are called events, right? So what we do is not only do we figure out what's abnormal to figure out what's normal, because like you said, most attacks don't happen just for one instance. It kind of goes through a, a, a stage. It's called like MITRE attack framework. That's like the company behind it. I mean, that's pretty common knowledge as far as like MITRE frameworks. Right. And like the way I understand it is like essentially if you were trying to gain access to a system, I mean, essentially you probe the system at multiple levels right. and then one of these, you know, attempts essentially breaks through right. and that's where you find your vulnerabilities Correct. in what you're describing as more of an abnormal event. Yeah. So like that's what we call like a brute force. Yeah. Like they're okay. actually brute forcing. Uh, but most like, you know, the colonial pipeline that didn't happen because someone brute force into their system. That happened from right. inside a threat. Yeah. Most stuff happens from inside a threat. You know, it's just like psychological things in playing. Like I set a USB drive in the middle of your lunchroom and someone just happens to pick it up and put it into their machine. Well, and I told you this story uh, a few weeks ago, but um, I was trying to explain to my uh, last employer the importance of uh, securing their systems. And I uh, decided to convince them to indulge me in a, in a little thought experiment. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, I'm going to leave a flash drive um in the break room right and i'm just gonna we're just gonna leave it there uh and see how long it takes before somebody picks that up and plugs it into their computer right even though they have no business doing that because that is a computer that's on our network absolutely and they you know shouldn't be doing that they shouldn't be doing that with their home computer either sure. if they don't know what it what's is on the flash drive? but curiosity Always. gets all these people and they don't understand um the security vulnerability 
it was not 15 minutes before yeah. somebody had picked that up and, and that's typically what happens system. like you know what i mean like even if it's an email i mean we've all been guilty of it like you know whether it's a text message or an email we call them typo squatted domains like where someone where it looks like it came from like let's say you're a securonics for example mm-hmm. we don't have an e in our name like, that's literally on our demo when i'm talking to customers and they click on it because it looks like it's coming from our ceo right and then when you click on it it, it doesn't mean like it's not like oh your your screen goes blue. They have no idea of what happened with it, right? It's just they just go on with their work day. Yeah, it just executes a script in the background. Yeah, in right? the background, that, yeah. and the script makes it there forever, right? And then that's when the the hacker starts to realize what he has access to from that point, right? So and I like, mean, oh, I have access to their SharePoint environment. What's over here? Let me take that data, and then you start seeing the the firewall beacon off to some place in you know like he was in Lithuania or somewhere. Right. And so, I mean, I feel like we're essentially like kind of glossing over, but also touching on the topic of like the most common issue in cybersecurity that I see. And I'm sure you see this as well in the workplace, like is human error error. of just randomly like, oh, there's some flash drive. Let me see what's on it. And right there, you've, you know, compromised your system to whatever was on that flash drive in the first place. Or a lot of uh, companies, you know, like the idea of insider threat kind of goes broader than just like hacking. Right. Because they have like IP, these companies, you know, whether you're a motor company, you know, you have designs and all this other stuff. So like, you know, I was talking to a large employer of, you know, one of the manufacturers for, you know, cars and whatnot. And their, their main uh, idea around insider threat was just around like, how do I stop my engineers from talking on Reddit about our designs? You well, know, that's IP to them. I mean, want that stuff out there as an engineer, like we need access to the system when we're developing it. But right. at the same time, like. There needs to be that cut and dry threshold of going from engineering to actual real implementation of customers. Cause sure. like you don't need that access open to everyone. Right. And like if you had engineering access to a system, that's basically a blanket admin access to right. essentially all systems. Yeah. So you bring up another issue. It's called like access outliers, what we call this a function in our system. Okay. Yeah. We're like privileged misuse of access, right? So the problem is when you have these large corporations, you have contractors, you have people that move within, um, you know, different, you know, departments or whatnot, and their access never gets changed. Right, right. right? So you may have access that are outside of your scope of work, but no one ever went in there to cut you off that access, right? And so, like, you know, one thing that we kind of look at is like, hey, you know, Sabash has this access. He's now in this role. This is what his peers have. These are the functions which you use. Why do he have all these other ones? You probably want to look at that. And typically that was a manual process for IT. There was an Excel sheet that these guys are going through and it's like labor intensive, which is why it gets glossed over. Well, and it but requires communication between departments as exactly. well. But it's extremely important because if I compromise Savage and he has all these access to these crown jewels within your, within your organization and all other things as well, it makes this job a lot easier to get you know, your IP. Well, yeah, effect, effectively you only have to engage one person in right order person. to get more or less admin access to the whole system overall. Exactly. Okay. So how much, how much corporate espionage do you think is going on right now? Uh, I mean, it's kind of tough to say, you know, cause like a, a lot of times, you know, I first and say that, but some of the customers I speak with, they don't even talk to the level of, you know, it's, if it's not public, right. If it's not like in the, the, the media, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So it's kind of tough to say, but I, I would, I mean, these places get hit all the time. You know, now whether or not they're actually yeah. talking about it is, is, uh, you know, um, so I guess let, let's take a step back then. 
and you know what are the most common issues you set you see over like day-to-day work like what are the top three things that you know companies are concerned with is it ransomware is Um, it you know ddos attacks so i would say ransomware of course right that's like low-hanging fruit everyone cares about that um definitely been in the news a lot yeah yeah it's been in the news a lot um so that's 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 for sure even though you're not supposed to i guess the 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 government says you you shouldn't pay the ransomware, but most co- corporations actually do pay the ransomware. Oh uh, right? yeah, we, we I can mean, talk about that for yeah. multitude of reasons. One reason is that they'll they'll delete these, your data if you well, if you don't. Well, they'll delete your data, but I mean, let's be honest. Most of these companies, I mean, like disaster recovery is not like a uh, a new thing anymore. Most of these companies can can get that data back, right? And yeah, and but if you they, didn't have any backups, if your only backups were RAID drives on your own server, yeah, and they locked you out of your system and said, "Hey, we're going to delete it all." Yeah, you're going to say, "Are you going to say we're going to spend twenty million dollars developing right. all that from scratch?" But again, that's what I mean. Like most companies have a disaster 000. recovery plan, so they have these backups offsite somewhere. Yeah, like if you're a company that you own, that you're still only holding your stuff on your production data. Wow. Well, and so this this really gets to the point here is that. Our businesses in this country are on so many different levels of the spectrum. Right. In the manufacturing sector in particular, where I came from, right. there are so many of these large manufacturing operations that are generating tens of millions of dollars in annual revenue that only have one in-house IT guy and a server that oh, he's that's maintaining. For sure. No cloud backup. The sales nothing. guy, I never want to talk to you guys. Yeah. Manufacturing. Yeah. They're the most archaic of all the systems. Yeah, they don't want to update. They would like, they never they like to use pen and they still use pen and paper. Yeah, they'll use they'll, they'll, they'll use servers and storage and firewalls, array, you know, all that good stuff when it's out of support because there's a cost center to those guys. It mm-hmm. doesn't really affect their business. Like their main business is the OT of devices that are on their floor, right? This is actually generating their products. Yeah. IT is just something they have to do for the corporate piece of it. But if you're a manufacturing company, the corporate side compared to what your actual workers, like most of your workers are on the like manufacturing floor and that sort of thing it's not even close to the level of employees that are there compared to the other ones mm-hmm. so, yeah um but back to your question i think it's uh ransomware um and then like there's a a new hot like generating um i guess space application security right so what you had happen was um you know during COVID, everyone went remote right so yeah. a lot of your internal applications and things of that nature everyone was accelerating applications to be built and to be built in the cloud so it can be accessed and kill latency and all those other things, right? But the problem is, is that those things were never configured correctly. So there may be vulnerabilities there. Because they rushed to develop. They rushed to development, you know what I mean? Well, and there are quick access points in order to give exactly. you remote access to the system, but exactly. at the same time, that remote access is a vulnerability to anyone who might want to penetrate that, exactly. right? Exactly, exactly. Okay. So hackers look at just just a wrong configuration in a, in a piece of code, right? Um, and so they all pushed in, but they had to do it because it was speed. I mean, we didn't know. I mean, it happened in March. It was like, everyone's remote now. How do I keep business moving? You know, how do I not sync during this time period? So they had to, to, you know, react quickly. But then also, I mean, digital transformation, I guess is the industry term, that was already happening where everyone would realize that like, oh, IT is really not a cost center. It's a revenue generator. I have to create these applications for my customers because everyone has a different user experience. Everyone has eBay now. Everyone has, you know, Emma's AWS now. You know, everyone, I want to pay for something. I want it to be simple. I want it to be quick. And I want it to be here now. And I don't want to wait for anything. So they had to create these. So that was already happening. But then you have your workforce there that becomes everywhere. So now your internal applications also have to get pushed out there. And no one secured those things. So now it's what's called application security. It's, it's, uh, the acronym, I think, is cloud native is CNAP. So it's C-N-A-P-P. 
cloud native mm-hmm. application protection uh, products. And so basically the idea is to secure the workload. So as a developer is, um, you know, writing his code or whatever, right? This There's these different companies that would, you know, scan that, you know, that, that software development and say, hey, this is, this is a point of act. This is a vulnerability essentially, right? And then the software developer will fix it. And then there's a thing called like securing the actual infrastructure of where those, where those softwares would sit in the cloud, right? So effectively what you're getting at here is different access points and where like developers would have different access rights than say a customer or a maintenance manager or an admin even would have different levels of this, you know, security in order to log in and actually get the control that they need. Well, not even that, but like, you know, when you create a piece of code, like it's talking to different systems or there's different, like, um, you know, there's different images and there's child processes of, of, different ways that 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 one piece of software may interact with different parts of your business or networks or nodes within your AWS environment. Okay. So you're, and so it's just misconfiguration of how those things are talking. It may not be even on the code. Okay. Right? So you're, you're actually going a level deeper into the actual nitty gritty of the code and how these classes and infrastructures actually behave with each other. Correct. And that's not properly controlled Correct. due to the pandemic and how all these things have Correct. expanded over time correct so okay. it wasn't even that the, the fact of uh not it's not control it was just speed and so when no one really looked at the configurations of those things right there's no security and analysis exactly. of it okay so hackers realized that it was like oh i can just exploit this one misconfiguration it might not even be the code it may be something that is talking to something else but because this that something else had a misconfiguration or is a vulnerability there now i have access to the source code of this other application i should not have access to so because of the speed of that and no one thinking of security, just thinking rapid to keep the business going, application security has become completely hot. So you have like the whizzes of the world. It was an Israeli-based company. These guys came from like Azure security and they started application security. You have the Aqua securities. You have the SysDigs. You have the Sneaks. Like all these companies are companies that are heavily funded and they're really, really hot right now in the IT community. Well, yeah, because they essentially expanded in this, you know, cybersecurity network space where like, I mean, me as a computer science engineer, like I was brought up in like SQL injections and like you really have to sanitize your input Mm -hmm. in order to properly manage what it is that these users, whatever login credentials they have, like you have to control what they have access to because you overflow the wrong buffer and all of a sudden they have direct database access or, you know, potentially admin access to run commands. Exactly. Okay. So you have um so like essentially so and the problem was already there, but because of the speed in which we adopt these applications and these technologies, and now that everyone is going to the cloud, for all the reasons everyone goes to the cloud, the scale, you know, the cost control, all that other stuff, even though it's not really cost controlled. But um the idea was um to take these siloed points of security. And now they're saying, hey, instead of taking these silo, Gartner like runs our industry, essentially. I think they run our industry because everyone wants to be in Gartner. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants to be like a market leader in those sorts of things. So Gartner basically said, hey, instead of just having a company that only is securing the vulnerabilities within the code or having a point solution that only secures the infrastructure or having a point security that only secures the actual uh, workload itself, we need a single platform that all these teams can talk and understand the overarching security because again no hack happens on just a system it's typically a 
a bunch of systems in which the actual hack moves before it's actually out of your network. So it actually, it's actually really interesting to hear you describe it like that because it almost sounds like it's sort of a reverse software engineering stack where like on the software engineering stack, you're essentially building up all of these different layers and all these different systems that work together and communicate. Sure. But on the other side of things, like from an offensive perspective, you're essentially breaking these systems down and like you gain access to one of them and that gives you access to another system. system. And then that just cascades into another system until you actually get to what is essentially useful or valuable to you. Because we've all worked in corporations, right? Like everything's siloed. Everyone, every division has their, like the software developers, like they don't really care about the infrastructure guys. They only care about whether, when they push their stuff to production, right? Right. When their product actually works in the production. Well, so that's what I wanted the two of you to provide some clarification on, if you can, is this, you know, this layered um, sort of uh, security vulnerability that you're describing right now. Sure. That, of interconnected systems that are communicating with each other. Sure. Is that or processes? Is this primarily a problem in large enterprises that are using a ton of different software sets to accomplish various tasks within their uh, their organization, or is this a problem also for small business? You want my answer, or do you want to like the answer? So I guess yeah, I, mean, I guess <laughs> I'll go ahead and jump guys. in, and yeah. then you can go ahead and go from your angle more on the offensive side of things because sure. I'm much more experienced on the development and creation like in general the defensive side of things but like you build up all these systems and like the first thing that you're concerned with is how do we make them work together because if the systems don't work then they're not actually useful right and so like you end up developing this prototype and like essentially proof of concept in order to make sure that it works and you build layer on layer until you get to the point where it's profitable for your company. Right. But then at in general, from a software engineering perspective, like you should have various stages at which you refactor and control these types of mechanics. Like I kind of touched on a little bit earlier where you have SQL injection and like these more brute force login mechanics. Sure. But essentially these things get overlooked on one level or another. Like, from my perspective, I'm an engineer. So in developing the system, I need access to multiple layers in order to make sure that they all work together. Sure. But on the other side, you need to be able to deconstruct these layers to say, Oh no, like this person shouldn't have access to all these different things. Sure. So like, is that more, I guess what more or less what you're seeing on the offensive side of things? Like, how are these essentially deconstructed? So, yeah, so I think you're you're thinking of it from a, a standpoint of like uh, an access, like or me having privileged rights, right? The 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 main problem is like, for instance, a system admin, right? Right. His job is nothing more than to make sure that whatever you know, whether it's a server or whatever, that he is, you know, his admin rights are right. Whatever his whatever his his job function is, his job is to configure those resources um, to the applications to make sure that they're running at an optimum level, right? So he is configuring something as far as on the actual server itself, right? Right. So when he has those, when he's configuring it, he may be configuring it in a way that causes a vulnerability to your application, right? And so, and so it's it's more so like less than a, um, more than a like a you know like more than a uh, an access or from an admin. Like when I when you say access admin, I'm thinking of someone like logging into something, right? Exactly. More more of that because that's also important, right? That's that's 
that would be a crown jewel that a hacker That's would see. Essential base layer, yeah, but right? How he's getting in it is if he misconfigured it wrong. Right. If he's actually misconfiguring that server wrong, that's giving him a vulnerability. It's like having a port scan, right? If you misconfigure that port and I see that it's an open port and no one knew that, that's an access point for me for as a hacker. It had less to do with about me earning your rights as whoever's job is to configure those ports. It had more to do with I saw your systems and how your infrastructure was built and I did a port scan and I realized this port was open and it gave me access to it. So, so right there, essentially, I mean... Essentially, the base problem is sanitizing the input, right? Yeah, sanitizing the input, sanitizing the, the, the configuration, understanding how these systems are talking to it. And not. And when you're doing it at such a rapid speed, there's just, there's oversight sometimes. Right. And like you have to explicitly control the parameters of like yeah. what characters can be used and exactly. how much length is appropriated and like exactly. all these, you know, more mathematical details about what's being entered into the system exactly. and what's accepted versus just you know thrown away yeah. essentially yeah because what i found fascinating about cybersecurity is one thing is like once you're in you can you can move east and west all you want to across the network i mean again, you don't really need access once you have once you're actually in essentially that's just how computer systems work right, right. so once you're a user in the system you can observe the certain access rights right. and the different limitations of the system. But at the same time, you have to have certain rights in order to influence certain systems. Sure. So I guess let's dive into that a little bit more into how is it that people particularly access enterprise systems? Like, do you typically see people access at the user level and try and understand the system more uh -huh. or do you typically see attacks more at the root level where they're actually trying to control the system to some degree um it's again it depends on what their their goal is right i mean like i mean hack is like such a i mean i remember i saw the cisco report like i want to say like the the amount of money they make compared to the amount of money that corporations spend it's like five to six X, right? And most of it's on data. You said right. the Cisco report? Yeah. Yeah. Like most of it's on data, right? So like a healthcare institute, like those social security numbers and names and all that other stuff, that stuff's a lot more important. Or like, you know, understand their Medicaid or their their, you know, all these different things that go into it. Those types of scams for hackers and selling that stuff on the black web goes for a lot more money. Like if you want to attack someone's source code, like if you want to understand like the underlying under you know understanding of that application. Um, I don't under, I don't know the use case for that. I'll just be honest. I don't know if that's profitable. Well, you know, there's, there's companies out there that have been caught for, you know, like their source, their source code or vulnerability being like we had the, the big one with Log4j that just came out. Like, yeah, yeah. That was that wasn't even that long ago. No. Yeah. I mean? So what I mean, you're that, saying is that the data is so intrinsically valuable at this point. The data is very they don't intrinsically need, valuable. They don't need to go after anything. They can just capture the data and, and sell that. Well, so yeah, let me try and put this into a little bit better perspective for people. Like essentially like the IP of a company is valuable, but you need to understand it on such a fundamental level mm -hmm. in order to actually extract value from it. Right. That these companies like, especially like Google and like Netflix and these companies that are like actually profiting or Facebook, especially. Right. Like these companies that are profiting off of the data that they collect from you, 
the data is infinitely more valuable infinitely. than the IP that the they IP, have. The IP that they have. Like, Absolutely. This, this I mean, of course, there's there's that portion of what he was saying, covering Esp- espionage, where they're, you know, they they I want to under I want to know what Ford is doing. But when I'm talking to corporations, that's not the conversations that come up that they're talking about. They're more, they're more, um, they're interested in the data and like the, the, I mean, not necessarily the, what I refer to as PII or personally identifiable information, but like the key characteristics about the people that use the system and like how they can sell things to you and like, you know, advertisements and marketing and all these different aspects of just you accessing the system tells them so much information about you. Correct. Okay. They're, in, they're they're a lot more interested in that that sort of thing. Like the, now, there's more sophisticated. Like when I said the insider threat company that I was well insider threat program that I was talking to, that was an extremely large corporation, extremely right. large corporation. Um, and there's also, you know, like there's a, there's a piece of that, right? When you, but it's not from a, a standpoint of the actual system. Like when I talk to them, they're like, oh, well, how do I stop? You know, like one of the use cases that we give, and it's called a flight risk, right? Where Will, you know, Will goes in and he's going to another company from, I'm a sales guy, right? And I'm taking information, all my information about who we've worked with, those companies, those contacts. How do they stop me from taking that information and going to another company? Because even though I, I created these contacts, to I work for them. So it's, it's their IP. So right. they want to stop that. It's called a flight risk, right? So they talk from those perspective. I rarely run into a company that's like worried about like their actual product. Um, I mean, they are, but they're not. Um, it's, it doesn't come up in, as, as far as a uh, top of conversation what they're most concerned about. Well, from that type of perspective, I mean, the companies would have to have like the infrastructure and like the overall like software set up in order to actually capitalize on that. Whereas like a flight risk, essentially they could steal your customers, for example, yeah, and like absolutely. jump in the middle of that and right. actually cut your, you know, potentially your IP or your, you know, particular advantage in right. that industry out of the out of the equation entirely. Right. Or they just want to know who you who you've talked to. You know right. I mean? Like there's people that hit me up all the time, like, oh, like I'm in Sam and one of our biggest creditors called Xbeam. Like, oh, I can give you an Xbeam list. And all that lets me know is where Xbeam is sitting so I can go take them out. Well and this that is sort of this is something that I touched on with Sabash in one of our previous episodes is like this kind of information gathering is essentially happening all the time time. at governmental levels, especially on like the DOD level between like CIA, NSA, you know, MI5, FSB, all the different organizations around the world. Like this just essentially happens all the time for this to happen on a more corporate level. I felt like was inevitable and to some degree was happening constantly. And And so, so this is something that like you see regularly in industry. I would say so. Okay, Absolutely. it's so widespread at this point. I think it was, yeah. was it you who told me that the DMV has been uh, selling yeah. our data. The DMV is selling our data. DMV in our like, state made like two hundred fifty million yeah, like dollars just, over the course of ten in, years in, selling just name, address, and address data. It's no, insane. I mean like, like the they post say data office. has overtaken uh, as far as like the market. It's overtaken oil data. Yeah, data has just just data. Which is insane to me. Well, I mean, like, even when you think about, like, the most, the simplest aspect of that, like, the post office, they have your name and where you live, and that shit gets updated regularly. And, I mean, if you go on vacation, what's one of the first things you think of? 
oh, I need to stop my mail so that they, you know, don't keep delivering it while I'm abroad for a month or whatever it is. Like they have that up to date information just readily available. Like why wouldn't they just sell it and make a profit off of that? Right. They all do. But at the same time, it's like, well, now who has access to the data? There's no controls over that, right? There's none. Yeah. Okay. There's there's no overarching federal body that's like managing your personal data. Well, uh, so it's funny you bring up a good point. Like, there's a new uh, emerging market called Privacy Ops. So you have players like uh, uh, OneTrust. Okay. They've been in business for maybe like three or four years. They're they're valued at like multi billion dollar company. Um, There's a company called Security AI. Um, and all they're doing is they're basically kind of what I said about uh, UEBA from a standpoint that everything maps back to a user. They're basically mapping everything back to the employee, right? And then very, rather structured or unstructured because, like, you can produce metadata at all times. Every system you interact with is producing some sort of metadata. Right. And so because of compliance reasons like GDPR and all these other different compliances, and we're going to have more. You kind of heard Biden talk about it on the State of the Union. We're going to have more, like, these compliances are going to push down because the government realizes this is a problem right right like well you we have to be able to protect the people's actual privacy their their, their data because essentially well, it's your privacy right well so you kind of touched on this a little bit of like these different trust companies and especially biden at the state of the union like there's this company that i've personally worked with i didn't trust uh-huh. um where they actually focus on your you know civilian status and like actually verifying your personal information sure not only on like a personal level but on like a federal level of like corroborating it with different agencies in order to ensure you know for example security clearance but also civilian status and you know criminal record for example and so like these are things that are essentially being built up you know currently like as we're living some of them already exist right sure sure absolutely so you gotta think about it like that company you're talking to, and this is where like the whole idea of, you know, cybersecurity or insider threat security, that company you're, you're working with, they're collecting all this data about you. Right. And that data is going to sit on some sort of repository. That's a lot more valuable than how they collect it. Right. Right. I mean, every single thing that you click on every link, every thing you type in a Google search everything. bar is tracked somewhere. Everything that that repository is sitting somewhere. And, and it's traded a thousand times over, um, which is which is pretty interesting to me. But there, I was it's funny. I was looking, um, I was looking at this company called I think it's let's say Daytream if I'm pronouncing it correctly. And what they're doing, I thought it was really cool. So I've always thought that that like we should we should be operating kind of how Alaska operates with their oil, right? Where we get kickbacks based on our data because it's already here, right? There's no way to stop. There is no way to stop the selling of our data. We already, we've already, the, these systems, our phones, our, our social media, we already interact with them too much and this data's already been collected. There's no way to take that back. There's no way to revert that. I mean, so to, it's like, how do we get our well, portion or yeah. our piece of the pie? And this company's so, kind of figured that out a little bit. So to some degree, I agree with that. But at the same time, <clears throat> I feel like it's a misunderstanding of education. Sure. Like, I mean, essentially everything you do in the world like the idea that that is your own uh-huh. is a completely insane idea sure. because anyone around you who sees you do that has observed it and therefore has access to your data essentially of course i mean what we're doing is abstracting that into a computer space so that you know you went to a web page 
and you clicked on a particular article or a particular link, mm -hmm. but that's no different than someone observing you walking into a store, for example. It's just a different conceptualization because when you're sitting in front of a computer, you don't think of anyone else watching you. Right. But at the same time, they are. You're just not consciously aware of it all the time. I think the importance there is informed consent. Um, Glenn, the issue that I see there is that people didn't understand explicitly that all these services that they were using that were free on the internet, they were the product. Right. We know that now. And, you know, we, I mean, some of us have known that for many years, but right. it's, it's becoming more mainstream. It's becoming understood in a, in a more mainstream fashion. Thanks to uh, like documentaries, like the social, uh, not the social network. Um, what is that? Analytica? No, there was, there was a documentary that was made that was uh, really popular. That was basically just talking about, uh, breaking down some of those concepts of how how much your data is sold and how much you are the product. Right, and this right. is why I don't use any Google. I, I, I use pretty much no Google products other than Gmail yeah. at this point. I use because, more. yeah, I, I don't use their search engine. I, I use, you know, a completely separate search engine. And to your last point about getting paid for your data, I think we are kind of moving in that direction. It's There's resistance to it, but blockchain technology is kind of taking us in that direction yeah. where you are getting paid in a tokenized form. The browser that I use right now, Brave, right. Um, pays me uh, a percentage of the revenue that they're generating uh, every time they expose me to ads. I right. actually have not been exposed to ads for many years because I run all these ad blockers and tracker blockers on whatever sure. browser I'm using. But I permit my current browser to show me ads periodically because they're paying me a crypto token for it. Sure. Well, so that's something that I actually want to hear your opinion about, Will, is... I mean, we're nearing this stage very quickly where we can enter into this essentially decentralized blockchain space, yeah. or at the same time, we can enter into this very centralized, you know, quote unquote, Google space mm -hmm. where everything is controlled by this one singular entity, mm -hmm. or it's controlled in, like I was alluding to previously, this decentralized space mm -hmm. where it's essentially bought and sold behind the scenes. Sure. Where you still benefit from it, but it's not one singular entity that controls all of it. Sure. So I guess kind of what is your... Opinion on that? Well, I guess your opinion overall, but also... What you what do you think is the more likely outcome? I just think the centralized because I mean it's past like least resistance. We're we're so we're at already, right? Do you not see the war that's going on between centralization and decentralization? I, I mean, I I do, but I just think that uh, right now the powers that be have control over the centralization. So it's, I mean, absolutely, it, to, yeah. to, to to you know they're gonna they're gonna win. they're gonna win unless I'm I'm of the same mind as Will. Like yeah. you know, centralization is clearly the path of least path of least resistance yeah. and at the same time like if you have a clear path that it will succeed yeah. you're not going to invest in this yeah. arbitrary system that may or may not prove successful like personally i would like the decentralized but i don't think it's gonna i i, I don't yeah. think it, i don't think because they already have, it's already centralized well and it kind of always has been through is. the course of all of human history right right um Taking, you know, leadership and freedom, even this country as a concept was right. revolutionary because most people through most of history were per were pretty content living as vassals under kings and nobles right. because it provided safety and security right. to, relatively to right. being on your own. And, 
you know, having your farm raided by bandits. Right. Um, and yeah, to a degree, we haven't really evolved from that mindset. Some people pref- have a preference for freedom and decentralization, yeah. but we have the illusion of decentralized, but it's not really. Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, I feel like that's really what we're getting at here with this centralization versus decentralization sort of, you know, conceptual conversation right. is it really comes down to essentially an informed populace right. and the idea that you can, you know, inform a populace in mass about right. a decentralized environment. Like that's just not realistic not in realistic. today's environment, I mean, especially not. as it be, things become, you know, more technically adept just to yeah. understand them, let alone work with them. Right. I, I, I think like most things, like you can have an ideal, and on its on its basis, on its on the surface, it can be very innocent. But there's always going to be something that how can I, someone that's going to say, "How can I capitalize on that?" I think that's even a problem with like technology. You know what I mean? Like we can we're creating all these things and we're we're innovating at such a rapid pace. And on its surface, it may seem innocent. There's always going to be someone that says, "How can I sell their data? How can I or how can I create a profile and influence their behavior?" Like we love all these systems that we're interacting with. We love all these things that we that we're able to do. We love the access we have. We love the speed we have. You know, I can order something. I can door I DoorDash every night. You know, all these different services that we have. Um, but there's always there's always going to be someone that can manipulate and exploit those things. I guess is my point. So I guess, do you think that's more of a, I'll say, Achilles' heel of capitalism, or more of a? misunderstanding of the technical age that we're in and just the sheer capabilities that we have now that we haven't been accustomed to. Um, I think this is the first one. <laughs> yeah. How you termed it to capitalism, but I think yeah. it's the first one. Absolutely. Okay. Well, so then do you think with socialism and democratic socialism and all right. these variants of, of this ideology becoming right. more popular, do you think that if we were to actually transition into one of these systems? Sure. You know, whatever level of implementation you get sure. um, from that, do you think that you would eliminate this problem of people trying to capitalize or do you think that's a human nature thing? I don't know. That's a good question. You know I mean? I think like, I think that t- that kind of goes to the point of like, uh, I guess ge- by generation, I would have a different feel. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like I think for, you know, um, it's hard to, it's hard to change how you're thought, how you're taught. You know what I mean? I always tell people like, you know, like I'm very against like, you know, I won't say against, but I, you know, I think the rich should pay their fair share. Right? Yeah. But I'm also a capitalist. I'm, I live, I'm, I'm going to operate in an ecosystem, which you've given me. Mm-hmm. So if I was in their position, I would do the exact same things. Yeah. You know I mean, because you can't change how I've been taught. You can't change the environment, which I grew up in. You know what I mean? And yeah. I only know it one way. If so you, it would take some radical, something radical to force. Like, like you see on the movies, it would take like something where we, everything shut down and we had to depend on each other in order to succeed then maybe coming out of that, we'd be able to do something like that. So like that. an external threat, like exactly. alien invasion or exactly. something. Yeah. It would take something radical. But as it is right now, no, no one's going to just choose to do that. Well, There's so, always going to be someone sitting in the corner saying, I can exploit this. Yeah, I mean, it's essentially you grow up in this environment and you know, constantly you're just aware of what are the weaknesses of it and how can I take advantage of this? Because you're programmed and, to. You know, yeah, I mean, make essentially make the best of it for yourself because... Right. You know, regardless of how much you want to help other people, it is a selfish game in that you need to be squared away before right. you can help anyone else. Yeah. And like, so getting yourself ahead 
is the best case scenario, the regardless best. of your personal preferences personal on preferences. ideology or Absolutely. anything. One hundred percent beyond that. Okay, one hundred percent. Well, and this yeah, is 100%. you kind of see you see this all over the world. You see this in every society, regardless of system. And I'm not saying that every every place is exactly the same. I mean, you do right. see stronger senses of communalism in yeah. some places, but there is this element of you know looking out for yourself and. It, in extension your family your yeah. you know your loved ones uh in your your community uh at large but you know yourself first and foremost is right. what everyone's looking out for and uh in a way i think a lot of the reason we're able to have this debate is because we've reached such a point of prosperity right. at this point that we it's kind of a luxury to even be able to think about this right? right if we were out you know in in the forest like trying to you know hunt and and kill our food still yeah. you don't have the luxury of talking about well, it depends. I mean, like that's kind of sub- like prosperity subjective. You know what I mean? Like happiness is subjective. Uh, it's subjective, but I would say we're, like, we're objectively far more prosperous than you know any yeah, any period obje- of time yeah. in history. But it's kind of like you know, like I love like you know anything. If if there's a if there's a show out there that's got people stuck on a spaceship or something like that, I'm all for it. Or like an ecosystem, mm-hmm. but you always see those things, right? You have, everyone has their purpose. Everyone is, you know, they're, they're, they're living pretty well off it's as far the, as within their ecosystem. The right? controlled like structure. Controlled structure. Yeah. I There's love clearly defined roles. Defined, yeah. I love that type of thing, right? Like, if the, if the world can be that in that harmony, ideally, of course, right? It's like everyone has purpose. Everyone wakes up. They, you know, their their necessities are taken care of. You know what I mean? And I think necessity, when your necessity is taken care of, it's innovation, right? If I didn't have to work. Who knows what I would actually be doing in my life? Well, right? I mean, that's but there's always someone at the top of those shows. I mean, I'm exploits. I'm clearly a clear, you know, you know, very much in the engineering innovation mindset. But like, if I didn't have the freedom to pursue these endeavors, like, what would I be doing on a day to day basis? You know, like I would be a farmer, or I might be in the who military. Knows? Like, I wouldn't just be this scientist who could go around and study, you know, whatever I'm, you know, whatever freedoms that I have and opportunities that are available to pursue. Well, to what both of you guys are talking about, an interesting thing that, uh, uh, like a common, uh, thread that pops up in socialist Twitter, uh, Mm -hmm. every couple months Mm -hmm. is a conversation about, Hey comrades, what would you, what, what will be your role after the revolution? Um, right. for, first problem, <laughs> they say comrade. Oh yeah. Well, and, I mean, so, that's, well, that's, so, how they, that's how they talk in, uh, in, well, in no, so com- I, Twitter, but. I'm, I'm kind of poking fun yeah. at the, you know, linguistics that they use, yeah. Yeah. but at the same time, they use this as a concept of comrades. We're all in this together. Right. But yeah. essentially the core issue there is that there's a huge, huge hurdle that has to be met initially in who gives up their freedoms in order to pursue that. Exactly. We're, hang, we're, on, hang on. You're, well, ju- so, you're jumping the gun. Well, so let me, let yeah. me, let me right. reel it back a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so like, we're in this fortunate society, especially here in the U S where we have people at all different levels of society to where, you know, I'm fortunate enough to be able to pursue my dreams as an engineering scientist mm-hmm. and actually pursue some of this. There's a hundred thousand nameless, faceless people mm-hmm. who the vast majority of society will never consider, but they are absolutely essential mm-hmm. to me being able to do what I want to do. Right. And that's completely eliminated from the entire social 
comrade type conversation sure. like that's just eliminated from it as like yeah that'll happen somewhere behind the scenes right and i really don't like that from uh for my own personal perspective a socialist versus capitalist perspective like any capitalist i've ever talked to like they associate that with is this is essential and necessary and without it we can't do what we do sure and i I, that's one thing that i really respect about the capitalist mindset right i don't know i don't know how you guys feel about that no i mean uh, it's it's, it's a tough uh like i said uh, i mean we talked a little bit before we had joined uh you know on the on the podcast like i'm a capitalist because of the environment i was in right like if i had my way um just because no one likes to see as you were saying those others that don't get the to chase their what's the names, right? Right. But then there's also a, 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 a there's also a, a bit there of where my capitalist mindset comes in. Like that's your choice, you know what I mean? Because I I believe like you know I I wasn't I wasn't given this opportunity, you know what I mean? Like I wasn't I actually chased it, you know what I mean? I actually wanted it. Um. So you'll always have those, but yeah, I mean I think it's there's always a fine line, you know what I mean? Um. There's always going to be uh people that are, aren't complacent and are overdoers and like. They just they, they they like to challenge themselves, but um, I think you can have a marriage of both of those. I think if you look at like capitalism from a, what it's actually supposed to be, because I don't think our current system is actually a capitalist society. I would I would agree with that. Yeah. Like our current system is not a capitalist. Society. I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, but if you look at a capitalism on its essence, then yes. But what we currently are and what we're calling it, how we're oh, you get the marketing term of capitalism, not nah, not really. Um, it's it's not really there. Yeah. But no, so Glenn, back to what I was trying to, the point I was trying to get at was, what do you think the most common answers were in that Twitter thread about what these socialists and communists uh, believed that they would be doing after the revolution? Oh, well, I mean, as far as what they believe they would be doing. What what do you think they they were saying? Very clearly, the first thing that jumps out at me is they believe that they would be changing the world. And what, what I mean by that is, like on a very fundamental level to the point of like Elon Musk, like, I mean, say what you want about Elon Musk and Tesla and SpaceX, but he changed the world. He made an electric vehicle possible for the everyday consumer. And so when you think about these, you know, for lack of a better description, I'll call them socialist minded people. They're talking about renewable energy. Right. They're talking about the welfare state, like universal basic income. income they yeah. they hit these talking points like there's something that's achievable in the next couple years. Which, yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. I, I would agree the same as you will. Like this, this doesn't make sense from a scientific okay. perspective, let alone any other yeah. level. Well, you're you're looking at this from way way too abstract perspective. It's okay. a very simple answer. Overwhelmingly, most of them said. I'm going to be an artist. I'm going to be a garden. I'm going to have a garden. I'm going to be a paint, like whatever, a poet sure. or something, a writer. And it's like, what who, who is going to be the plumbers? Who is going to, yeah. who is going to run the energy grid? Who is going to do all these essential things? And this is what you, you guys yeah. are talking about in terms of the people that are overlooked, that are required for, for you to be, be able to be an engineer. Right. The way we've ordered society currently there is a ton of people that are involved in that process to make that possible. Whereas all, if all of these people that favor this ideology of 
you know, a commu- of communism, socialism, whatever mm-hmm. uh, it is, if they all want to be artists and they want to, you know, pursue their passions and their yeah. passions are, nobody's passion is to be a trash collector. Yeah. But it's something that needs to get done. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I mean, I kind of glossed over it and I guess I completely jumped over what you were getting at yeah, here. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, essentially that's the issue is, someone who is an artist or you know truly creatively minded there's nothing productive that someone else can use now that's not to say there's nothing productive about art well it's, it's a, not measured on its productivity art is valuable for different reasons that that's that's exactly it it's valuable for different reasons sure. because like from an engineering manufacturing perspective i can create a machine that can, for example, help you do your job more efficiently. But if I create a piece of art for you that makes you feel happier and more productive at your job, that's not a quantifiable metric on a larger scale. Well, exactly. It depends. But in order to think of it from that more of a creative sense, which... It's actually funny that you bring that up because that is what I commonly see and immediately gloss over because I'm an engineering minded person. Right. But like, that's not something that is effectual on a larger scale. It's extremely effectual on an individual scale. Sure. But you can't evaluate that in a company or even a nationalistic sense. Any of those things, whenever you're creating a product or a company, you need a bunch of individuals that makes it collective. So if you're affecting on the individual scale, it could. Yeah, and art well, also has major cultural impact. You know, art, like, it's like, ended instance, certain like, conflicts. I, like, so, after every sale, well, so I, I, I listen to a song. I, every trip. Yeah. Every I, time. I, I, it changes my mood. I, I would I ab- sell more. I would absolutely agree with you, but at the same time, I would ask you a follow-up question sure. as... How many people do you need to create that moment versus productive people? Well, and how good do they need to be at it? Not everybody is actually talented at art. Well, the other thing is at the same time, not everybody's talented at it, but not everybody speaks the same way to it. That's true. Like I've heard a variety of people show me different art where it didn't speak to me. Sure. But I've heard, you know, a few very select instances where I'm just completely floored right. by the amount of talent and ingenuity that right. went into that. And it's just because it spoke to me. Right. Right. I think it's, uh, it's, it's based on an individual. Like even when you speak about art, like how you're looking at it and how I look at it is different. You know oh, I mean? absolutely. Like I look at all art, like it's just evoked my emotion. Like if you give me a feeling, if you could take me back to a past time or you could take me to a present, present time or even a future time, you know what I mean? Like that is a beauty of art, like a music. I love music. Like if I was, if I, before I was in cybersecurity, I was, I was a rapper, you know, I rapped, you know what I mean? Like, and I, I took that, that's my passion. It's what I love to do. There's, there's nothing that's like a stage to me, you know what I mean? Oh um, yeah. But that doesn't, that's, that's not where my life took me. You know what I mean? That's not, it wasn't, it wasn't driving my, um, you know, it wasn't going to the levels of where I saw my life being. And so it, that took me to different things, but I will say, I tell everyone this, like, I think, what I learned there and being on the stage and all those things um, and connecting with people, it absolutely has to do with the, the, the salesperson. I am. Yeah. You gained a lot or of the, or the engineer I am. Like, from it, I'm sure. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't, I have no fear of sitting in a boardroom and talking to individuals about any product. I have no nervousness of that. 
Well, I mean, because I've been on the stage. Just just sitting here talking to you, like, I mean, if I didn't have my creative background, like, I don't know how I would ever conceivably associate what I know about technology and engineering right. in order, you know, to know what you understand about sales and right. the way the world works. And right. so, like, that part is essential, but how do you quantify that? And I feel like that's something yeah. that's sorely missed, especially in well, I think you like quantif- we were talking about that, like more socialist conversation. Well, it's, it's, it's a deeper discussion too. Cause I think you quantify, like even as I've grown and we kind of call it base here, but even, even if I, I like it, the conversation, even as I've grown, like I've recognized like individuals have different ways of thinking, you know what I mean? And some individuals in their way of thinking pushes innovation. It pushes product. It pushes things forward. Like, I've recognized that I have a naturally curious mind. You know what I mean? So like, even when I'm looking at other sales individuals, like I understand that you are here just for a check. You know, you were here just to sell your product, but I have a curious mind. So I actually want to know the nuts and bolts of what I'm selling. And it's not because I like, you know, I find it fascinating. You know what I mean? I got into cyber city because I, I literally thought it was fascinating. I used to sell infrastructure beforehand, a storage. Those conversations were completely boring to me. You know, there's no real, I don't really, I didn't really care about, oh, your storage array went down. And so your company lost X amount of dollars because of that storage array, you know, or, or production going down. That doesn't mean anything to me, but, oh, there's people's data getting stolen. And this person is now stuck trying to, you know, figure out why her, her identity got stolen. And she's, you know, now she's down on her bad luck and, or he's down on his bad luck. That's a real world impact. on me. You know, well, so, so I it's, feel like I'm making a difference. It, it, it essentially sounds like it's that kind of like, meeting ground between not only like understanding the engineering like more productive concepts but also like the creative components of like why those engineering more productive components matter yeah you i think you gotta understand that you know what i mean but i was saying that to say like you know there that i i think that that's how it's that's how you could quantify those things like thought and and traits sometimes like on on this basis level it's just a trait that a person has like you just have a trait you know what i mean it, it just so happens that you're a software engineer right. i just have a trait it just so happens i'm in sales you understand what i'm saying and some people don't have those traits and that's okay like you know i, I have a buddy of mine that you know he's not a, like he's like will i don't know how even my dad said like, i don't know how you always you're like a over you think of all the outcomes all the whys my brain i would be exhausted if i thought like you you know what I mean? Or if my buddy tells me, he's like, I'll be exhausted if I always was trying to climb. I'm, I was, you know, cause he's like, he owns his gym. He makes his cash and he's completely content, completely. I don't have that in me. I just yeah. don't, you know what I mean? And in ways I wish I was like him, you know what I mean? I was like, I would be a lot less stressful. I would go to sleep on time. I wouldn't be up at four <laughs> o'clock thinking about all these different ideas I have, or like, how do I get to the next level or how I do that? Right. But his trade is needed. He's yeah. helping individuals absolutely. in his I mean, 40 people gym. That's and absolutely my essential. Needed, yeah. You know what I mean? Cause the, you know, I think those traits that I have is like, was why Elon Musk is able to, cause he, he dares to think that way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he dares to do that. So well, that's I, how mean, I think it's quantifiable, I guess. It's my, yeah. I mean, especially answer. with you in particular is like not only to the Elon Musk level, obviously that's a whole nother level of going off on your own tangents, but like these people are essential to society and yeah. like, we need somebody to think through these problems because not everybody's doing it. Right. And I mean, in particular, just especially you with computer, you know, cybersecurity, like right. there aren't enough people doing cybersecurity no, in order not. to explain like 
why this is important, right. let alone to actually handle the problem of you need to actually secure your data. And this is important. And I think it's changing. You know, I yeah. mean, that was a good segue back to the comp yeah. the topic, but I think it's changing for sure. Um, you know, I think I saw a stat that like cybersecurity spends like $156 billion in the next three, two or three years. It's supposed to go up to like 340 or somewhere around there. So it's going to double, which is insane to me. You know what I mean? And there's not a lot of individuals that are in the space. You know well, what I mean? Like cybersecurity I've, has like, from a resource standpoint, like has a 0% unemployment rate. Well, I, f- I feel like that's really, I mean, essentially what the issue is, is like these industries, especially cybersecurity in particular, of like these industries, you know, kind of spin up all, essentially out of nothing yeah. because no one was aware of it beforehand. But now it's getting to the point where like, this is a common issue that we right. all need to be aware of. Well, I think it's a, it's like a, um, a growing up of America, of, you know, of, I want to say America of, of, you know, the world. Right. Like when I, I think when I first got into it, right. Um, the idea of your it team, your, your network admin, your system admin, you know, your backup and all these guys, it was the, the conversations of, they don't have budget. You know what I mean? The C, the, the CIO is kind of like, he has a, a, a C level, but he doesn't have any budget DevOps and these other revenue creating things had, you know, more of the budgets and it, it was cared for more by the company. Cause the company is always doing what they're trying to create profit. That's what they're around. And so this was just like a cost center. I have to do this for this stuff to run. Okay. You need this. Here you go. But then things start to change, right? People start to be more on the web. People started to interact with, with, with companies different. Like, you know, you had, the malls were going away. Now everyone is online. You know what I mean? Then we have the phone. Now everyone needs an app. And so then organization changed and said, oh, these guys are absolutely essential. We need these guys and we need more of them in order to compete in the marketplace. And so then you have that time of it. And now I think it's shifting to, oh no, I have to actually secure all of this stuff that I have built over the last five to six years. So it's the same issue. It's just kind of growing up well, into this whole yeah. digital workforce, essentially. What you're talking about, the scale of the timeline of how fast this is all expanded. I mean, we were born around the dot-com bubble. Like that, yeah. <laughs> that was like, you know, within our lifetime is when these technologies even began to start going in this direction. And we, when we were growing up, I mean, I, I didn't have a smartphone until I was in high school. I, I mean, like you, but. Yeah, I had like, a smartphone not, before I was in high school, but yeah. not that much before. Yeah, it, it, right. wasn't, it wasn't there when we were kids. And they were also in the Midwest. Yeah. From a technology standpoint, like any tech company I've ever worked for, it, we've, we were always the last to accept or adopt technology. Like I think about just when I, I would say no more when I worked for Future You think this, this region? Oh, absolutely. We're, Def- we're the, we're the, we're, we, we adopt technology at such a slow pace. De- definitely, They're definitely still- on the tail end. I mean, it's, it's interesting to see like how, when we grew up, mm-hmm. like, I mean, it was available, mm-hmm. but like it was very specially available, right? Like not everyone had it. There were like the handful of kids in sure. high school who had the latest, greatest. And like, that right. was the coolest stuff in the world, right? right? That you all just wanted to learn about. And I feel like a big part of that was just our age group and the fact that we were growing up. Sure. But like, especially these days, like, there's all kinds of stuff popping up in Silicon Valley, in Texas, right. on the East Coast that like we just we hear about it, 
but like it's not actually available to us on a broader scale well i think it's because of that way because they adopted technology quicker i don't think silicon valley would be as big as it was if they didn't adopt the technology quicker i mean like any any tool i sell to an enterprise or anything that new comes out we're always you know they if you look at companies or all these different startups they're always coming out of out west or east or they're coming from abroad right and if you look at where their footprint is from a customer standpoint it's always in those same locations because they adopt the technology quicker you know once they scale they recognize oh ohio has 27 of the top fortune 500 i should probably go there you know chicago has 37 i should probably go there well do you do you think that's more of a it's developed out there or it's a matter of we want it to be tested before we fully adopt it in the midwest i think it's a little well i just think it's an edge I just think it's a, a demographic standpoint. You know what I mean? Like I still talk to people that be like, I don't want to put my stuff in the cloud. It's not secure. <laughs> like, yeah, buddy, well, AWS is a lot more secure than your brick and border. I could promise you that. Well, it's like, <laughs> I could promise you. I'm a software engineer developer. I don't even work on the security side of things, but like define secure. Like well, they, that they just, just their ideal because they can go touch it. They can go in the back room and their servers and everything is sitting there and they don't want to park their application somewhere in the cloud because in their mind they, they can't see it they don't well, know where it is i, I feel like so that's it's just the immaturity of their their thought process and then you get the demographics of who sits in those seats it's kind of the conversation that we had earlier well yeah I, right? exactly and i mean i feel like that's essentially the disconnect especially with like the west coast to like midwest kind of comparison is right. like it's what you know and what you associate with being secure and like right. historically we associate this type of security with like hands-on access like exactly. did you physically go in did the you, vault did you lock it right oh, and you put the like, backups in the vault well and like <laughs> right exactly and like now we're in this day age of data security where it's like i didn't need to go there yeah it's locked, it's locked and like me. unless i give you access nobody has access like, buddy aws has hundreds of data centers that thing is replicating so many different ways trust me it's secure right it's secure like it exists in multiple different spaces and even if you got access especially in the case of aws like even if you got access to one of those server locations you only have access to a portion of the data it's a small portion and even that portion like it's replicated somewhere you can't parse that yeah like it's only part of it if you have to get all of it in order to actually read it it's almost like you want to pull up a youtube like do you want to see these i mean these guys have like military guys oh i mean there's one i doubt you get in there buddy trust me i have a lot better chance of getting into your black your back closet trust me there and there's uh, i mean there's cia data yeah cia has several hundred but those are the conversations that i would have here whereas Mm -hmm out there you know they were adopting cloud very very early yeah. yeah but it is it is also costly to be an early adopter of any technology it's costly future. it's definitely costly and i just think it's just lack of understanding of how technology works that's well, what I really, I really think I, fe- I feel like that's essentially a scaling problem with technology especially right. is because like you can have a certain amount of data and you can have it secured on like an individual computer sure but like when as soon as you scale that up to a multiple computers worth of data like you know you're talking server level access like just one server i'm not even getting to the aws server farm style like that's a whole different ball Ball game game. yeah like you're not talking about one person's data you're talking about like 50 
to 150 people's worth of data. Right. You get to a you know server farm style. You're talking about 5,000 to 500,000 people's worth of data. The right. scalability is totally different. Totally different from a physical access system. And so to just just to put it in perspective, you speak of a good point. Like the data of of that, right? That would be a, an issue from if I'm talking to a a more um, SMB type company, right? They don't really have the scaling issues of a nationwide. They're just right. not the same. They don't have to scale or innovate or push out data at that point, right? Um, so typically, Nationwide would understand that. The SMB wouldn't that. And cybersecurity, neither one of them are understanding that. I run into corporations that are very large, and it, it blows my mind the lack of security that they have. It just blows my It's like, so you're just, I mean, I won't put the, I talked to a healthcare provider, right? A hospital at that, which is like, top of the line data like it sells for more on the black market than any other data right yeah yeah that's absolutely personal data um, at its top yeah 10 i would say over ten thousand employees so it's, it's a pretty it's a pretty regional hospital zero sim not only that well actually i take that back they had a sim but they were only ingesting i would say less than a quarter of their data so they were only getting security analytics and actually looking for threats on a quarter of their data and so, so that's like completely like I would never go to that hospital and 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 want to put my information there. It's just not secure. Right, right. So open box. So let's kind of let's kind of run this back from an enterprise perspective. Sure. I mean, you're talking about sims, talking sure. about data, you sure. know, at the server level. Sure. What are you know, let's say the top 3 you know, more if it comes to mind, what are the top three concerns of yours dealing with a new business? A new business? Yeah. A like new a, customer. A smaller customer or like does yeah. it matter on employee size? So or? so let's let's generally talk about, you know, smaller company yeah. size. We're talking not talking, you know, like yeah. 20, 30, whatever thousand. So, I mean, you're gonna have your, it's just a normal thing. It's just technology just involved, right? So like everything's machine learning, everything is about automation at this point. So you always have like, you know, you're, you're going to have your email security. You're going to have your endpoint security. You're going to have your firewalls, your switches, and, and all these things that, that lead up into what you call cyber. Like how we look at it, it's like the user at the laptop, and then it's just circles that go larger and larger. And then once you outside of their intrusion protection system, that's cyber. Right. You know, that's that's the, the, the DNS server sits outside of that. So essentially you're talking about the layers of security that lead yeah. up into the broader internet. Into the broader spectrum. internet where so it's just out in the wild. You you start out at your computer level and you build up Correct. to your wireless Correct. access, Correct. your router, Correct. internal network, Correct. up to your switches, any yeah. other routers you have, DNS, out into DNS, DNS your server DLP, maintenance, data loss prevention your, systems. Right. All your, these are different just point solutions and software. Right. Your data collection centers. All that. Yeah. All of a sudden you've got this abstract layer that yeah. leads you out into the broader internet exactly i Let's, just look at those as like going down the street and they're just speed bumps exactly you're just hitting these speed bumps right and so what the sim does is sit behind all those speed bumps and it lets you know how close it is or and if it got to the closest thing it just it just picks those off the top that are just like hey this is right. new this yeah. is abnormal oh, he went a little closer he's a little closer oh he actually got something and he left yeah, let's let's check this out. Yeah. That that was different, that right? That was different, right? All right. Right. So, so it's worthwhile even for a smaller organization. It's essential. Yeah. <laughs> it's I, I mean I mean if you care about your data, that is. Yeah. I mean, but and you know, it's like how do you force someone to care about their data? I mean, people still don't have home security systems. So it's like, you know, it's 
But that's the thing about it, though. No one cares until they actually get robbed. Yeah. And but then I mean, they recognized it, how, how important that was. You know, that's why I actually, and this is not ideal. I was, you know, I have this conversation with my engineer all the time. I was like, it won't change until there's like kind of what happened in the few food industry where we found out how toxic our food was. And now people started to care about the, the organic symbol on a, on a piece of uh, product. Right. So we need so, to have an Upton Sinclair. Yeah. It, it won't change until for, like, yeah. Until like yeah. you, you, you're interacting with a company and because that auditing agency says this is security approved and you're like, okay, it's safe for me to shop there. Well, that like the only chance that we have and, and so for customers, well, for them well, to actually start caring about well, like something you and I have talked about. It's yeah, that's, some that's kind be a of certifying business. board that gives a qualification to exactly that, that, that comes an auditor and says, Hey, this is an, an, a safe place for your data. Just and like they're, organic they're, step they're putting some protocols in place to protect your data. Well, and like we touched on this a little bit earlier, like before we started recording, like there've been instances of ransomware. Yeah. There've been instances of like the Snowden leaks and like yeah. a variety of different things of like, Hey, your data is in this space, whether right. you accept it or not, this is happening. It's happening. So just as a final ending note here, sure. let's give, uh, you know, three to five, however many you come up with just uh-huh. key points for individuals, things to be concerned about. Um, Again, it depends on the size and scale of your company, but of course you're going to need all those small nuanced things. But if you're talking more sophisticated stuff, like API security is very important. Um, just because you, the problem is you have all these different softwares, you have all these different tools, everything's producing metadata, everything's producing data in general. Um, and you need to understand how those systems and those point systems are moving within your network and how they, what vulnerabilities they have. Right. So API security is very important. So um, right right off the bat, I mean, API security, for those who aren't familiar, this is essentially how different software systems approach other software systems. Correct. How they talk. This is how your, you know, Microsoft Excel talks to the cloud, for example. Correct. Or, you know, how all of these different software systems interact. Absolutely. And having a continuous point feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. but having this continuous point of connection from beginning to end, whether that be Microsoft Excel to Microsoft right. 365 to the cloud Absolutely. or, you know, Amazon has their own version. I'm sure Google has their own version. Like having that continuous stream of data is mm-hmm. extremely beneficial, but it's also important to secure it, to secure and be aware of who has access to exactly. that. And exactly how the you best way to look at it, it. It's almost like look at your phone. Think right. about how many apps you had when you first got your smartphone compared to how many apps you have now. All those apps have a connecting and it's connecting to something else. And they all are passing across data. Right. That's the API. That's the talking, the link between that. Exactly. And Every so time you happen in business, all they started off small with apps. Now there's thousands of them. And right. There's no and way to essentially manage or understand or how they're talking and all. So all those are vulnerability points of access for a hacker. So many of those apps interact with other apps. Absolutely. Like, you know, you, if you have a password manager and that has your password to more than one app, mm-hmm. if someone gets access to your password manager, they have access to all of your apps exactly. at the same time. At the same or time. you could be like me and uh, lose the password to my password manager. Yeah. That is and, definitely and, something we and, all need to get yeah. better at. And then even in that scenario, yeah. they thought, okay, 
we'll make a centralized point yeah. of, of uh, password management. We'll create an Okta. <laughs> so you have one password and it gets you to all your system. Well, but Okta bo- connects to something else. So it's yeah. just having those uh, API security is important. The bottom line is this is a really complex and nuanced subject. And, you know, I mean, it's way outside of my area of expertise. You guys have some expertise in this area. Uh, I, I hope that we've been able to break this down and make it a little bit more accessible. I know this has been a little bit more high level discussion than Mm -hmm. we typically go for, but you can't really talk about this subject without it being a high level discussion. No, I thought it was a, I thought it was a good encompassing because I mean, they're all inter interrelated, even like the, the idea of we started talking about like, you know, social capitalism, it's all talking about how we interact. And, and the, I guess the main point is we interact in a digital way at this point. We do. Especially, I mean, in this day and age, all of these things, especially from a technical level, not only a geopolitical or social perspective, like they're all interconnected, especially on the data level. Like it's impossible to talk about these things in a way where they're secluded in their own sense. Like, I mean, they're all interconnected in some sense. And in order to dive into any one of these topics, we would need multiple, multiple hours yeah. Just to dig into the nitty gritties of Absolutely. one aspect of them, yeah. let alone it as a broader topic. I think I'm going to take that analogy though, because that was pretty uh, off the cuff. The app idea, because um, that's just kind of the that's the best way to describe it. Honestly, no, that, that's what is like going on analogy, in your phone yeah. has this what's going on in organizations. They start off yeah. with a few apps. Now they have tons, and they're all interconnected, and they all interact with things. And there's a repository of that that needs to be secured. Like there's security. There's there's door there's door openers everywhere. New, you how do you lock all these scripts from coming here? Yeah, how do you lock so. all these doors? Yeah, absolutely. How yeah. do you lock all these doors? Is yeah. exact, exactly what's going on. Um, well, I mean, thanks for coming on tonight. I mean, mm-hmm. we'll definitely have to have you on again to I'm waiting, you know, I liked it. further into detail on some of these things. And mm-hmm. I'm sure there's going to be some updates on this because, um, I mean, part of how we built into this conversation in the first place was just the threat of cyber attack from Russia on a right. national infrastructure scale. Right. We talked about last week mm-hmm. and then I said, well, we should, we should have my buddy will on. Cause I yeah. think uh, it'll be a different, it'll be outside the government side of the this discussion. Right. But yeah, well, I think I mean, that's, I, a, that, that's also a, a different, those are different tack vectors than like enterprises worrying about mm-hmm. essentially. Yeah, I mean, they're the I, you know I, I wouldn't even want to think of the type of attacks or it's, frameworks they're using to well it's, to do that. It's you know a lot I mean? more straightforward in the vectors in which yeah. you're being approached, right? But at the same time, the baseline of it's similar. Yeah, it's so much more like structured. Yeah, but like targeted. Yeah, and so it's like you have dedicated people yeah. at it. So in that standpoint, is when you guys were asking me like, what is what is a hacker looking at? In those points, those are targeted attacks. They they're yeah. They're literally creating something to get a certain outcome. Right. Whereas most hackers, they're just trying to get access and see what they have. Just probing. Probing. They're seeing what they have. They're walking in a house like, oh, I didn't know this was a million dollar house. And they had all these nice, these Picassos on the wall. Right. Interesting. I got access to Picassos. I'm taking all the Picassos. You know, but they're, they, they don't really know what they're going to have access to or what they're going to have, uh, you know, what the outcome is going to be, I guess is the point. You right. Know what I mean? Unless it's a ransomware attack, then I know they want to shut down your, well, your systems. Definitely a lot of uh, a lot of things to think over for um, business owners, for key decision makers and enterprise, and uh, and and just for ordinary people who uh, you know for how you manage your own data security. So I hope you've all been able to take something away from this. And uh, thanks for listening tonight.